This is the Manufacturing Report. I'm Scott Paul. These jobs are good jobs. They're good paying jobs. They give you the ability to live the American dream. Not very uh, often that you have an opportunity something like this comes about. For our workers, all, you know, all steel workers and aluminum workers. People say we're starting a trade war. No, we're not. We've been in a trade war and we're getting our butts kicked every day, every week, every year. American Steel has been in the news and our listeners have lots of questions about what happens next with President Trump's proposed tariffs. We'll get to those with the help of Scott Bowes and Kat Adams next on the Manufacturing Report. Let's get started. This is Kat Adams speaking with Scott Paul and Scott Bowes for a special edition of the Manufacturing Report. Uh, We had a lot of commenters on our Facebook page asking about 232 and trying to clarify some questions that they had. And so we have a great opportunity now to sit down, Scott Bowes and Scott Paul, both Scots, uh, here to answer some questions. So uh, one of the first questions uh, that came up would be about downstream impacts. Um, Does helping the steel industry hurt other manufacturers in America? This is a a major question um, that people have on their minds. So Jennifer Michaels actually writes, she says, not a question, but a comment. I worked in the manufacturing sector and we bought our steel abroad. When the last set of tariffs on imported steel went into place, the owner of our company moved our motor manufacturing, which previously had been done in-house, abroad to our China plant. We lost about a quarter of our manufacturing jobs. What's good for U.S. steel companies aren't necessarily good for the rest of us. So what do you guys think? Well, I can certainly talk to, to talk about the, um, the impact that was going on in the early 2000s in manufacturing and how much of it was directly related to the steel tariffs and how much of it was related to the rise of China and changes in the economy. Um, and perhaps Scott Bose can talk about what, what some of the, the, the evidence that um, uh, the, the collected data actually suggested as well. So the last time steel tariffs were put into effect in a broad way. They were, they were in effect for a very temporary amount of, amount of time. There were a lot of product exclusions. Um, but even more important than that were kind of the macroeconomic trends that were taking place at the, at the same time. We were coming out of a recession. Um, we had just been through 9-11. Um, there, was a, there was an economic recession. Um, China had just joined the World Trade Organization it was scaling up its production and consumption dramatically. Uh, retailers were demanding what was called a China price for their products that were, was impossible to achieve even with great efficiency uh, in the United States. So there were, a, there were a multitude of reasons why jobs may have gone offshore. I don't think that there's compelling evidence that tariffs uh, caused them to flee uh, in any way. And while in the media there have been some studies uh, that have job loss numbers that have been cited, it's important to understand that those, those were based on models. They were funded by the importers who opposed the action uh, in, in the first place. But the, the actual data that the government collected showed something a little more complex, Scott. Yeah, I think that's right. And I guess I would just add that there's obviously been a lot of attention to this after the fact, after the the Bush 201 tariffs, as as they're known. 
which were in place, as Scott noted, for a fairly short amount of time from 2002 to 2003. Uh, one report that a lot of people look to is a report that Congress asked of the International Trade Commission, which is kind of this like quasi-judicial body. They're the ones who look at trade cases and try to figure out uh, whether there's injury or not. But they also do a lot of important research. And they looked at the 201 tariffs, uh, specifically this issue, issue of costs. And, you know, as Scott noted, they, they found that of those consuming industries that were surveyed, most of them were not able to distinguish whether or not uh, any negative uh, price impacts they were feeling were directly related to the 201 tariffs or they were related to other uh, factors uh, in the regular course of the business environment. Uh, and some of the big conclusions from that report are ones that I think are relevant today as we hear this kind of hyperventilation about cost impacts. Uh, for consuming industries, uh, actually for 71% of them, their contracts for steel prices didn't change in any way. Uh, we saw price in the domestic market, that is here in the United States, uh, end up relatively lower than what we saw outside of the United States. Uh, and then again, for those consuming industries, uh, we saw generally across the board revenues increase, profits increase, and really notable for jobs out there and workers listening to this, uh, the employment situation in those industries improved year over year relative uh, to, uh, to what it was the case before the tariffs took effect. So as Scott noted, I think it's important to be skeptical of if you're hearing bad news about this where the sky is falling, uh, kind of question where that's coming from and what the motives are. Okay, so another question that pops up a lot on Facebook in particular. Um, so is the steel industry past hope for recovery? Uh, what happens next for the steel industry and the tariffs? So Dan Hanks writes, will the tariffs really help American steel? I work in the aluminum industry and aluminum is selling at around 1,200 a ton. 800 is our break even. Our plant has suffered so much neglect we are not able to increase our production. I wonder and bet that American steel is in the same situation. Heavy industry does not ramp up like turning on a switch. It takes a lot of money. Well, it's a good point. It does take some capital investment to get uh, industries like aluminum and steel uh, restarted, but the right signals are being sent by the market now. And already you see some evidence that the tariffs, in combination with other policies, are having their intended impact. Uh, United States Steel Corporation announced that it was restarting a facility uh, that has been closed for uh, the better part of at least a year and a half, if not two years, in Granite City, Illinois, just outside of St. Louis, that will bring about 500 workers back. Uh, Republic Steel in Lorraine announced that it would be uh, opening a, uh, a steel line uh, that may employ as many as a thousand workers. Uh, in aluminum, uh, you've seen an announcement from Century Aluminum in Kentucky uh, of at least 300 jobs uh, being added um, at, at a facility in Hawesville. Uh, and in uh, New Madrid, Missouri, uh, a, a Swiss company, Magnitude 7, has purchased uh, a smelter that had closed and is going to be reopening that as well, employing at least 400 initially. And I expect this to be just the leading edge of announcements like this. Now, there are other important factors. I mean, if the economy is in a recession, obviously, there's not going to be a lot of demand. Um, 
We're not in a recession. We're in a growing economy. Uh, we're adding jobs, adding growth at a, at a reasonably good clip. The stock market is doing well. A lot of corporations uh, have received uh, a, a, an enormous uh, tax benefit, about $1.25 trillion over the next four or five years. And so uh, I think things are looking pretty bullish for American industry, and there's every reason to believe um, that uh, we can both um, add production uh, and jobs uh, and capacity back to steel and aluminum. I would just add uh, that, that Dan Hanks, who submitted this question, is, is right, that it, it does take a lot of money to, uh, to, to restart a steel mill. And, and no, it's not like turning on a switch. And at the same time, it's a very serious decision for them to make that decision to stop production of steel mill. Uh, and in the case of Granite City and other, and other places around the country, they made that difficult decision. And I think you know the power already, while the, the ink is not even dry on this uh, Section 232 action, um, you know that the market signal is there, and, and yeah, it takes a lot of money, but it's it's a strong signal for these companies. So no, it's it's not too late. It will help American Steel, and we're already seeing the progress. And uh, in, in the case of uh, these announcements, uh, in the case of kind of like what it takes for for these companies to be profitable and be able to reinvest in workers and and their innovation and technology and produce the the cutting edge materials for our military, for example. Currently across the board, the steel industry is operating in kind of the 74% capacity and all that may sound high if you don't know the industry, but it's actually quite low. Uh, they need to really be operating at about 80% of their capacity of what they could produce in order to begin turning a profit. And as Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross has noted, you know, each uh, percentage point you go up in a very capital intensive industry is monumental and very important for them to make that progress and get to that point where you can see uh, mills reopen uh, and see them make those investments in workers and the plant and equipment, which is ultimately very positive for our uh, national security outlook. So another question that comes up um, is, you know, people who do support this 232 tariffs are very excited about it, but very concerned about uh, manufacturing as a whole or, and manufacturing, manufacturing's role in preserving the middle class um, and what this means for, for, you know, our socioeconomic outlook. Um, so in this post, Mike Davis from Columbia Fall, Montana, he writes, forgive me for my ignorance regarding international trade. We are losing our middle class. A lot of our middle class was in manufacturing. I live in Northwest Montana. A bit over a decade ago, we had three lumber mills and an aluminum plant here. All we have left is one lumber mill running at about 30% uh, capacity. Those were good jobs. If you're a person saying tariffs won't work, then what is the answer? Doing nothing is not the answer, that's for sure. Um, so kind of going to his point, what can we do, you know, more largely after 232 to fortify manufacturing jobs and, and keep the middle class going? I think that's a very important question. And um, I've often described the tariffs as being triage in an emergency room. Um, it, uh, it stabilizes things, um, but you also have to have a growth strategy. And that's going to be a big part of this. Uh, I think there's a lot of support for investing in our infrastructure, uh, which boosts our economy. It also boosts material industries like uh, steel, uh, if it's done correctly. Uh, we're going to be pressing the Congress uh, and the administration to move forward on that. 
Um, we continue to build out America's energy infrastructure, and there's a lot of oil and gas development going on. Uh, much more of it should be taking place uh, with uh, American-made products like steel pipes and iron pipes, um, and we're going to be pressing on that. Uh, we obviously need to have a strategy to help transitioning communities and to help workers find careers in 21st century manufacturing as well. Um, and our system's not well built to do that now. I think that there are improvements that we could make. Uh, some of that requires a change in mindset. Some of that requires money. Um, and there's a federal role, there's a state role, there's a private sector role uh, for all of that. Uh, and you hear a lot of complaints, but you know you don't see uh, a lot of policy progress being made, and, and, and we need to make some progress there as well. Um, just more broadly, uh, it's a big concern about the middle class because it has been hollowed out, and one of the reasons why it's been hollowed out is precisely because of the loss of manufacturing jobs. We lost, uh, in the decade of the, the, the 2000s or the aughts alone, uh, we lost almost six million manufacturing jobs. Now, we've gained uh, a little more than a million back, so far in this decade, but we have a long way to go. And uh, if, we, if we have a manufacturing strategy, if we enact some of those policies that I suggested, we can get there. So the question uh, one, did ask, if not this, then what? And Scott mm -hmm. very capably talked about some of the other things we need to be doing broadly for manufacturing. I just wanna very quickly address one issue specific to this 232, uh, because we, we have seen some, some of kind of the, you know, hardcore free traders, uh, some on Capitol Hill, those who will take free trade at any cost, um, you know, say very negative things about the, the 232 action, even threaten to take legislative action. And I, I think that question that, that was raised is really important for them. So if not this, then what? What is your plan? Because we've had years and years and years of inaction, uh, and it's gotten us to this point where, as Scott noted, we're kind of in the emergency room taking this, you know, emergency step. So for those like Senator Flake uh, who have legislation out there that would try to undo this 232 action, I would ask, well, what's your plan? Because status quo is not working. Uh, we've got a national security risk. We've got a very serious problem. And even further, if, if Congress, and it won't happen, but if Congress were to do some kind of drastic action like that, it would give a very dangerous green light to China and other countries to go back to these very dangerous practices and frankly increase them and, and make the matters much worse. And so one of the other things that has come up on Facebook posts uh, would be concern about a trade war and obviously that's something huge in the media you know that people are, are concerned about um, and perhaps not a lot of information uh, available about really what will happen um, you know if, if this will come to fruition uh, what are the next steps so can you comment on that? One of the things that the president had said was that a trade war is easy to win, and a lot of people looked at that statement and said, well, that's not true. Here's how um, it could be a disaster. And uh, they look at things, and you have to go very far back in history, but to the 1930s to see how this plays out and how it can play out in a way that, that is not favorable to, uh, to economic progress in the United States. But... I think I would add that this idea of a trade war in the 21st century is really dramatically overblown. Um, we have a rules-based trading system. Uh, we're operating within the rules of this. Um, 
but we do have an interconnected economy with a lot of different uh, other nations now. Um, and so I think just by default, you're not going to see any sort of a, uh, a trade war like that. And at the end of the day, our trading partners uh, do have a lot more to lose than we do. Um, we, in goods alone, uh, import about $800 billion worth of goods uh, more than we export every year. We're the world's richest consumer market by far. We're only 5% of the population, but we consume a lot. And so uh, the American consumer is irreplaceable. Um, and, and that gives us an advantage. Um, I do think that, uh, you know, and I think it makes sense for the administration to manage the process in a way that will decrease the likelihood uh, of a of, of what people call a trade war, um, and they will be doing that with uh, what they call uh, alternative arrangements uh, with some of our trading partners. Um, uh, if they can find an acceptable substitute for tariffs, um, they may pursue that as long as it doesn't dilute the effectiveness of of, of their goal here, which is to. Uh, ensure that our steel industry can be viable and, and provide for our national security moving ahead. And, and the last thing I would say is just that, you know, if you talk to a steel worker or an aluminum worker, they feel like they've been in trade war for the better part of a decade now. They've been living it every day. Many of their brothers and sisters have lost their jobs. It's had a devastating impact on their community, on their families, on their public services. And they often wonder why no one's been fighting by their side. Um, and, and so I think finally for some of them, they feel like there's some hope here. Um, and that often gets lost in this conversation. We definitely heard that argument of, well, we're already in a trade war. I, I heard someone recently characterize it in a creative way, which was that this action by this White House is the retaliation to what has been years of very predatory, dangerous practices by others. And this action is the United States finally standing up and you know, calling BS on the rest of the world and saying, we've got real problems here. So the, the purpose here is not to have tariffs for the sake of tariffs. It's to find medium to long-term meaningful solutions on these global imbalances in steel, aluminum, and frankly, many other um, industrial products that are that are key to both our economy and our national security. Uh, so whether it's steel, aluminum, semiconductors, automobiles, whatever it is, uh, it's important that we have a, a productive economy here in the United States and it be growing and not shrinking uh, and being given to, uh, to other countries. That will do it for the Manufacturing Report for this week. A special thanks to Kat Adams and Scott Bowes for making this episode possible. As always, if you have questions, comments, story ideas, feedback, please send them our way. You can connect with us on Twitter at Keep It Made in USA or via our website, AmericanManufacturing.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Together, we can keep it made in America.